once we can identify that we're doing it, and once we can name, okay, this is me ruminating, there's a reason we're ruminating. And if we can look at rumination as a signal for us to do the, you know, as we you know, they call in therapy, do the U-turn to look back at yourself and shine the light back on yourself for like, what's this telling me about me? Then, then we can sort of drop like drop the shame and drop the like, oh, what's my problem that I can't do? We get to drop all that and be like, oh, this is so curious. This comes up. So just in general, you know, I think for your listeners to recognize that curiosity, you can never go wrong with that. As soon as you start asking those kind, curious questions of like, oh, wonder why I ruminate. Why I ruminate in relationships. Wonder why I'm ruminating on this conversation or this thing that I left unsaid. Hey, hey, this is Dr. Kavita Sun. Welcome to the Emotional Mastery Podcast. This podcast is about emotions, psychology, and relationships. Every week, I'll be sharing real-life tools to help you build self-awareness, a better relationship with yourself, and more fulfilling relationships with the people that matter to you. Listen, this is the foundation on which the rest of your life is built. So let's take the time to get it right. I'll see you on the inside. Hello, podcast fam. How are you all? So good to connect with you, as always. And I've got a treat for you guys this week. A few days ago, I had a chance to chat with Dr. Christy Angevine. She is amazing, y'all. She is a board-certified OBGYN and also a master-certified life coach. And she specializes in helping high achievers change helpful, sorry, unhelpful habits into intentional ones, right? Whether it's perfectionism or second-guessing yourself or overthinking or excessive scrolling or chronic mental to-do list, she helps you unpack the root causes. And she's got such a natural warmth to her that I just so enjoyed this conversation. And I've seen her personally do wonders with her clients as well. In addition to master coach certification through the Life Coach School, she's also internal family systems informed, which you all know that I love. And she also works as a faculty at the Deep Dive Coach Institute. So Erica and I had so much fun chatting with Christy, learning about her approach to habits in general and relationship habits in particular, because I know that that's what um, that's what I'm most interested in, and I know many of you are very interested in that as well. So I'm really excited to introduce to you Dr. Christy Angevine. Enjoy this interview, and I hope you get as much out of it as I did. Here we go. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Emotional Mastery Show. We're super, super happy to be doing this with you and to be just meeting you where you're at, whatever you're up to right now. Maybe you're shopping or running errands or in between patients or about to go to sleep. Wherever you are, it's lovely to meet you here in this moment. And we have a special, special treat for you today. I know I say that a lot, but this one is extra special icing on top. We have Dr. Christy Angevine. Am I pronouncing that right, Christy? Amazing. Yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> we have Dr. Christy Angevine. She is a habit coach and a physician and an all-around 
really interesting, amazing, kind, funny, down-to-earth person. And um, Erica and I are super glad to have her here and just ask her some questions and pick her brains and hear from her expertise and her heart about a topic that I think many of us will struggle with. I know I do. So welcome, Dr. Angevine. Good to have you here, Christy. <laughs> yes, please. Of course, call me Christy. And we were just talking before we got started officially about how fun it would be to have each other in our pockets, like on speed dial, so that we could you know, sort of hear the and borrow the encouraging thoughts. And I'm absolutely going to just soak in all the kindness you just sent my way. It's so sweet of you. It's really fun. Like I'm delighted to be here. Like it's a gift to be able to be a guest on your podcast. Like, thank you so much. Oh my gosh. You are so welcome. The honor is all ours. So we wanted to start with just asking you a little bit about sort of who you are, what you do and how you got into coaching. And most interesting for me is how did you pick habits as your niche? It's fascinating and really, uh, I think it's it's a great niche, and I'm just interested to see how you stumbled on that. Yeah, so it may be it may have a little bit of a stumbly quality to it, like the story. So, okay, so who I am? So I'm. You did perfect pronouncing, pronouncing, pronouncing. <laughs> you pronounced my name perfectly. <laughs> I'm Christine You're a good pronouncer. <laughs> so I'm Christine Devine. I uh, did OBGYN for about ten or eleven years, and then I do full time coaching now, and I coach on habits. I live in Central Oregon. I'm you know married to my partner and we have our two kids um, who are 11 and six. I, you know, I think in sharing like who we are, like there's all, there's that stuff. And then I also love the high desert. I love mountain biking. Don't do it as much as I would like right now. I love yoga. Don't do it as much as I would like right now. And I am kind of obsessed with coaching. So that being said, so what I do is I, you know, I have a podcast called Happens on Purpose and I do small group coaching for women physicians. And then I, you know, really love individual coaching. So I do one-on-one coaching and I do a lot of work with internal family systems and sort of embodiment work, some somatics, and a lot of you know, cognitive thought work, all blended together in a way that seems to suit my clients and suit my personality. Um, so how I got into coaching is I was on call one night and watching uh, some a baby's strip and turned on a podcast that somebody had recommended to me like, years prior, you know, maybe not years prior, but you know, a little over a year. And I just didn't really feel like listening. I didn't really even listen to podcasts much. I just was like, how do you even play a podcast on your phone? What do you do? And um, listened. And the topic of the podcast, like the theme of the podcast, I had zero interest in, but it was the way this host talked about mm-hmm. dot work and thinking about thinking and emotions and B minus charting, all these concepts that all of a sudden I just was like, I'm hooked. I need to know more about this. And about, you know, two milliseconds later, you know, probably a couple months later, I was at our island in our kitchen telling my husband, I was like, I think I need to learn how to become a coach. Like, I just, I need to know all the things. I think this is probably what I'm, you know, might be a great thing, you know, after 25 more years as an OBGYN, I'll retire and, and I'll do some coaching. That sounds kind of a cool thing. I'll dabble in it now and I'll do more later. So I signed up for certification at the same time as starting receiving coaching. So I didn't really know what it was like to be on the receiving end and just dove in. Yeah. And so for me, like doing those things sort of simultaneously was kind of a classic, you know, the consummate learner. Always want to mm-hmm. learn, always, you know, hungry for that. Um, 
And it helped me apply what I was learning by getting coached and all that. And so, and then I was just hooked. I just loved it. I, you know, in undergrad, I was more the person who studied you know, humanities and psychology. And then last mm-hmm. minute was like, I guess I just need to do all my pre-med requisites. So I'll just do them in this last year so I can go do this other thing. Um, so it, it just hit me at a level that um, I just hadn't had happened to me before. Love so many things about being an OBGYN. Like specifically, there's so many things about that sort of vocation that I absolutely adored. And this just was a different level. So, and then how I got into coaching on habits was I initially started my coaching doing a lot of work on physician over drinking. And what I discovered was in talking to physicians about their habits of numbing, whether it was shopping or Mm -hmm. drinking or eating or scrolling or, you know, tidying, whatever it was, whatever had a compulsive, you know, sort of quality to it, that there was a lot of shame and fear of speaking about that, mm-hmm. where nobody wanted to go talk to their psychologist and talk about their drinking because it would go on their medical record. Nobody felt yes. like they get like if they weren't having such a big enough problem, they needed to go to rehab or AA or something else. But it was just sort of niggling at them. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what to do with that. And yeah. I had a sense that many of my clients didn't want to say, oh, I'm talking to an over-drinking coach. I am talking to somebody who helps with buffering and numbing because that sort of held them back. And so I started thinking about like, okay, what actually is, what is like, what is the purpose of what solution is drinking giving? Mm. Oh, it's a resourceful learned response that's been habitualized. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's just a habit, right? You know, like this is where my mind went, like it seems so simplistic oh. now. It's like, yes, it's just a habit. And so then I started getting super interested in habits just in general. So I realized on one hand, people were fine saying, oh, I talked about my habits. Yes, we're talking about drinking all the time, but they were fine with that. And it felt comfortable and safe and created a, a vibe of safety. But then I just really grew interested in just why we habitually do what we do, think what we think, feel how we feel. So I hope that answers your question. Wow. Wow. I'm actually taking notes <laughs> just in that intro. That's yeah, totally. Thank you so much for that. And I agree. I think habits really are sort of the building blocks, really, of it's like single Lego pieces out of which we create our days and our lives and our relationships and our emotions, all of it. You know, when we put it all together, it becomes a habit. And then before you know it, you don't even think about it as a habit, right? It just is the thing that you do without even realizing that you have any sort of uh, power over it at all. So I love that. Thank you for sharing. I love the Lego blocks thing. It's they are the pieces that make up identity, paradigms of ourselves, self-concept, how we see the world. Yeah. Until we examine them and notice that, oh, that's my automatic. Until we do that, we just, we don't see them. You know, none of us do, right? We just yeah. don't see them until we start seeing them. Then generally we can't unsee them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it's so cool that you found a way to do it that reduces the stigma, yes. right? Because it kind of ties back with your humanities background. Like we are human beings, mm-hmm. humaning, as Glennon Doyle says. And, you know, sometimes it's awfully painful. And sometimes we do reach for things that, you know, fill the void temporarily. And so to do that, I think especially for, you know, very successful professionals, uh, like the ones who listen to both of our podcasts, truly, 
there's this compulsivity that led to the success, right? And so then there's this other side of it where, well, what do we do when there's discomfort? We become more compulsive. And so it's it's almost like turning a light on the double-edged sword and then figuring out how to retain the good stuff of, you know, you know, the the drive and the passion and the success and the, you know, uh, you know, just keeping keeping that uh, you know, sort of success, that excellence, and you know, sort of putting aside the downstream effects, you know, being able to do that in a space where there's compassion and shame, like no shame really. Uh, and that's, that's the beauty of what you do, because I think, you know, you say it's simple. I think for many people, it's actually, it isn't, it isn't right. It takes a special balance to be able to, to look at it and, and, and break it apart. So that's just super fascinating to me what you do. Yeah. I love how you phrase that, that, you know, you can look at things, look at your sort of patterned way of behaving and showing up in the world and see the things that you want to keep, the eyes wide open. These are features that I really want to keep. Yeah. And then these, the underbelly, oh, that may not be serving me any longer. Now, this is the part that I can tweak and adjust without, you know, losing the good, right? Sort of like instead of keeping the perfectionism, I get to keep the high achievement thinking, right? That's right. That's right. And I, I think it's a good segue into, you know, what we are especially curious about today in terms of your work is. So many of us struggle with the habit of rumination, and it seems to be, at least for me, a go-to place when things get uncomfortable. Say somebody says something to me that sets me off, and I replay that conversation five million times as if it's going to change. Um, and <laughs> and you know, it's it's like it's tough because it, on one hand, it gives me a sense of power, right? right? That I'm sort of, you know, maybe I, I have this sort of control of the situation, but it, it's like a stationary bike it goes nowhere um and it it actually can be very destructive so you know what i'm most curious about and 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 covey too is how can we start to look at this habit of rumination and and you know sort of pick it apart and i think that really starts with what is it in the first place like what actually is rumination and why do we do this yeah. So I, I think you're in my brain because my first thought is like, <laughs> we need to define the terms. You know, yes, I yes, think yes. all of our listeners might have a thought about that. Um, so you asked like, so what is it exactly? And then why do we do that? So the way I think about rumination is, you know, we think about, you know, cows who like repeatedly chew on things, but when it comes to people, we're not talking about just repeatedly thinking about things. It's not just deep, thoughtful, turning an idea over in our mind and being like, hmm, because that's just thoughtfulness mm-hmm. where it goes from just being thoughtful and being just really reflective or you know really just you know considering all angles which are all you know generally don't have any downsides to them right unless you're being thoughtful like while your house is burning around burning down around you like you have <laughs> the time to be thoughtful and considering all the options but the type of ruminating or the way i think about ruminating is it is a perseverating and it is perseverating typically on ideas that, you know, something that we consider distressing. And it's repetitively usually thinking the same things mm-hmm. about the situation. And so oftentimes the perseveration is usually it's either negative or it's harsh, it's rigid. And it feels like the feeling we have when we're ruminating isn't this sort of like contemplative, grounded feel. It's more, it feels like you mentioned like a compulsion. And it's almost like it's intrusive, it's obsessive, as opposed to just deep reflection. So 
rumination is usually characterized by being past focused or present focused. You can ruminate and worry like fast forwarding to the future and catastrophizing, but usually rumination is about something that occurred in the past and the negatives in that thing. We're not usually ruminating over like replaying that compliment we got that just made us feel like a million bucks. Like we might replay that, but it's not a problem, right? So then the rumination itself usually results in some sort of downstream, like even though it's an action because it's happening in our mind, the emotions that happen as a consequence of doing that over and over and over, usually there's some element of emotional discomfort, emotional distress from that. And it is the stationary bike. I love that you said that, you know, and it's a kind of stewing or brooding that can make it super easy to start second guessing, Mm -hmm. catastrophizing, beating ourselves up. So that's how I define it. Then in terms of why we do it, I think that I like to think that there's so much we don't really know. So I'll give you my take on it. We may learn more, you know, as, as people studying like neurobiology and coaching and all the things about why humans do it. I have a general sense of why they do it. And I think we all also, I think it's really smart to make room for the fact that every individual might ruminate for very unique reasons to their system. So, but in general terms, I have a sense that there's a tendency to ruminate when we experience something in which after it's done, something feels unresolved Mm. or there's something that was either unexpressed or suppressed in our system in that moment. And we go over it and over it and over it and over mm-hmm. it and over it again. So a great example of this would be where you, you know, you have a, I don't know, you have a, like, I'm thinking about things that have happened in my own life where I've ruminated on them before, where maybe you park your car and then somebody parks their car behind you and blocks you in and then gets out of their car and goes and does something that seems like they're just oblivious to the fact that they're blocking traffic. They blocked you in, but you don't say anything. You don't get out of your car and say, hey, did you notice? Could you move your car? And then you eventually, they move their car. And the whole time you're like, I cannot believe, you know, like, how entitled, what were they thinking? Why are they being such a, oh my God. And do you know that so they're, they're in charge of the, the meeting that I'm about to go to? Oh no. Yeah. And so then you leave and then later, all you can think about is like, I can't believe they did that. Like all the negative things about their behavior and stewing over, I should have said something. If I could have said something, I would have said something, but I didn't say anything because in that moment, there were a lot of maybe emotions you didn't know what to do with. Mm-hmm. So I think we do it because we're trying to resolve something that didn't get resolved in that moment. And I like to think about, so internal family systems, you know, just like if for any of your listeners who like that language, I find that there's a part of us Mm-hmm. that likes the ruminating. So there's a part that's trying to figure it out and goes over and it goes over and it goes over. And yeah, so I think that's what we do. Oh my gosh. This is, this is so fascinating. I really, I'm, I'm like desperately and quickly taking shorthand notes here. Um, <laughs> I love Me it. too. <laughs> and I love that we, we all three remember that we should record. Isn't that funny? <laughs> that like, <laughs> thank goodness. Thank goodness. A couple of things that stood out to me about how you described that, Christy. One is the element of the lack of choice. Like it's not a thoughtful introspection because there's choice in that. Whereas this feels like it comes upon us, right? Um, I love, yeah, that's, that's, it really hit true for me because when I ruminate, I feel almost, 
uh, at the at the effect of it. Like I just yes. I'm a victim to it, you know. I love that you put that to words because I think that sense of in that moment I may not have chosen to do what I would like to do or I didn't have any choice and therefore I felt stuck yeah. without any mm. agency or powerless or something whatever that might be for the person. I I think that makes it just the likelihood higher later on to kind of try to find that choice. Yes. Like, let me see if I can find it in like how I look at it, or maybe later on I can go back. Yeah. But since we can't, and we are on the stationary bike, we just keep churning. Yes. Yes. So, so good. But I also like that you talked about the lack of perspective um, because again, in thoughtfulness or introspection, we have a little bit of space. I often describe it as if you had your hand to your face, you wouldn't even know that it's a hand. It's too close. <laughs> But if yeah. you have a little bit of space, then you can actually look around all around it. Um, rumination, when I ruminate, I am so inside of it that there is no perspective. Totally. So you can't mm-hmm. be thoughtful about it or look at all the angles because I don't even know what I'm looking at is a hand yet. So uh, just beautiful. And the last yeah. thing I want to say is I am I love IFS too. And the thing you talked about with... Um, actions or phrases or things that you could have done in the moment that somehow were edited out of that original scenario that then your mind wants to replay and replay as you know you could have said this next time I'm going to say this next time you know um so to me it, it also points to what is it that you want to express Exactly. Sometimes. So and thank I you. That, I think that really does get to that idea of like, if there's, if you, if you notice, if your listeners notice they have this habit, that's a yeah. beautiful question to ask. Like, like what was really going on? What did I, what do I wish could have occurred yeah. and why? Right. Like that just sort of like gives a little clarity for like why I keep chewing on this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. So good. Okay. So um, we talked about what it is and why we ruminate. And I learned so much just there. But I also want to know in the moment, right, we all have a kind of vague sense that it's not helpful. Mm. <laughs> like I often go back and forth in my head, like, why am I ruminating? Stop ruminating. Then I'm ruminating about why I can't stop ruminating. And if I'm so, you know, as the title of a famous book, if I'm so successful, why can't I dash, right? If I'm so smart, why can't I stop ruminating? I know it's not helpful. Why am I ruminating, right? So in the moment, what is something that we can do to give ourselves some space from this habit? (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that because I think we can talk about it all day long, but if we can't actually do anything about it, that could be problematic. So I think there are a lot of things that we might be able to touch on about retrospectively, once we are aware of it, how can we understand it better and yeah. then prepare for the next time so that maybe right. we lower the chances of ruminating or once next time we catch ourselves, we can do it. But in the moment, so the first thing has to be recognition that <laughs> you're doing it. So, you know, for anybody who uses like you know ideas like the think feel act cycle or the you know idea that thoughts cause feelings cause actions, if we don't have any awareness of our action of ruminating, I like to put it in that you know the action line so to speak. If we don't know we're doing it and we don't even know that we're like oh what's my problem that I'm ruminating, we don't even recognize we're doing that. It's hard in the moment to do anything about it, right? 
because all we'll do is just be like, fine, and we'll, you know, whatever, and go. So the first key is noticing that ruminating. That's even just in the noticing, we can get space from it. Like you said, you know, the mm-hmm. idea of your hand is so close that you can't tell it's your hand. I like to think about a pane of glass. So if we have our glasses on yeah. and we can just see the world, but then we pull our glasses off and we can see, oh, those are glasses. We can see the dust on them. We can get some perspective. Yeah. I think just in narrating to ourselves, here I am ruminating and stopping there. And that sort of still quiet, like, this is me ruminating. And then if all of a sudden we notice our mind goes to like, what is my problem? I know it's not productive. Here I am ruminating again. All I do is da, da, da. we go. And then I notice there's another part of me that thinks the rumination is a problem. This is what I've got right now. I'm ruminating. I notice I'm ruminating. So that to me is the first step. And many times that's effective enough. Many times also for anybody who goes and tries this and they go, yeah. And then I'm just ruminating going like, yeah, I noticed myself ruminating. And it keeps the cycle, the hamster wheel keeps going totally normal. And what's really helpful in those times is doing something on purpose to interrupt things. And that requires like, you're sort of like upping the ante. You're like, okay, my brain is not actually going to stop this just with me being like, I notice I'm doing this. Okay. Mm. And in those cases, I think it's actually really effective to do something to distract yourself or to get some space. And this means, might mean moving your body, doing a grounding technique, you know, doing you know, box breaths, mm-hmm. you know, re- breathing in and holding your breath for a while. It might be turning on a really like beautiful piece of music, really loud piece of music that you would never tell anybody you listen to because you don't want them to judge you for like you're liking this 80s hairband or whatever. Doing something to be like, okay, I am in something that is so compulsive right now. It's hard to stop. I need to just get out. And I think sometimes doing that is super useful. It's not always practical because a lot of my clients will say, well, I start ruminating while over the thing that happened in the last patient's room while I'm with my current patient. And what do I do then? And so there are techniques where like, when you go to wash your hands, you focus on all the physical characteristics of the water, mm-hmm. you know, focus on your five senses, anything to just pull you out of that sort of maelstrom. I'm picturing like a spiral, just like, yeah. And with, if that doesn't work, that's when you go back to step one, which is just like, yes, I notice I'm ruminating. And there's a part of me that wants to keep going. And sometimes we can just talk to ourselves and be like, may I have permission from my whole system to press pause on this? Because this doesn't necessarily feel productive, even though it feels necessary. And if I could get permission to maybe revisit this later with clear eyes, maybe we wouldn't have to go over and over on it. And sometimes just that ask can give us just enough of a, a pause so that we can turn and keep talking to our patient, which is also a way to distract and to focus on something in, more in the present moment. So I think those two things are keys, the awareness and talking to ourselves and sort of narrating what we're doing and when or if that doesn't work, doing something that's like a physical distraction, a physical grounding technique. Amazing. So beautiful. I love it. Narration. I'd never actually quite thought about it as narration. That's really fascinating. Just speaking about what's happening inside of your brain in third person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So cool. And then using our bodies to change our state. Um, I, I hear a mm-hmm. lot of using your body to come to this moment, yeah. right? Um, because rumination takes you out of this moment. Um, I love that. Love yeah, that. that's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. And I wonder too, you know, how much perfectionism 
perfectionism plays a role too. And maybe out of that moment, starting to challenge some of those thoughts, you know, because why is it that I'm stuck in the last room when I'm here? You know, is it because I forgot to ask one question that I probably could take or leave, you know? And so I think maybe outside of the moment, starting to challenge some of those assumptions um, about Totally. being perfect and all of that because you can ruminate, ruminate about food you could ruminate about a conversation with a loved one you can ruminate about you know stubbing your toe <laughs> you can ruminate literally about anything but i think the underlying assumption is that we're not human at some level and that we have to do things a certain way and you know that mindful self-compassion injecting that wherever we can i think maybe uh, i'm i'm curious what you think about preventing this too because you know, by the time I start ruminating, it's almost, I don't want to say it's too late because we're talking about how to get out of it, but I wish I had like had some sort of inkling, like 10 steps down the road that before I even started on this pathway. Right. So what, what do you think we can do to prevent, to prevent this from even happening in the first place? Well, I want to just emphasize what you just said is so important that, that there are going to be certain, each of us have certain things that might prompt our rumination. So for one person, Mm -hmm. it might be that they overate. For another person, it might be that they didn't eat enough or they were craving something and they were willpowering their way through a meal and they're just like fixated on that dessert they wish they had or the awkwardness that they had at their meal that they just ate their way through to get through and they just go over Mm -hmm. and over and over. And for somebody else, it's the, oh my gosh, I'm not a good doctor because I forgot to ask this question somebody's going to find out that I didn't do a good job. I'm going to cause somebody harm. And mm-hmm. it's the perfectionism, you know? And so I think the key to prevention is to focus on exactly what you just said, to know the classic situations in which you, you know, about which you might ruminate, like where's the fertile ground for rumination for me? Cause everybody's going to be different, right? There are people out there who will never ruminate on food. Food is just an irrelevant thing that they happen to put in their body to stay alive. They don't. So they don't need to think about that. But for somebody who does, knowing mealtime and what comes up for me when I eat or when I'm on Mm. call, that's fertile ground for later on ruminating. Good to know. That helps us anticipate what we might need to to look at. But I think just knowing, okay, these are the classic times or the issues like perfectionism that prompt this for me is helpful. So I think part of this is a little bit of reflection when you're not in the moment ruminating. when you're in the moment ruminating, it's the worst time to be reflective about why you're ruminating, <laughs> right? Unless you practice that skill and you're really good about being like, I notice I'm ruminating. Because yeah. ruminating in a way is like, you can see the superpower of thinking about something really fiercely, mm-hmm. except mm-hmm. it becomes unproductive because it's the stationary bike or the hamster wheel, right? So I think that's the first step is knowing when you do it. Mm. And then... When you know when you do it, then you get to start being curious and doing exactly what you just said. Like later on or before, you know, after one episode and before the next, starting to be like, okay, what are the classic questions that I mull over? Is it unexpressed anger? Because I didn't know what to do with my anger. So I suppressed it and I instead bottled it up and just said nothing when I actually should have spoken up and used my voice. Is it perfectionism and wow, I have all these ideas about what it means to be thorough and how mm-hmm. if I miss one thing, then I'm mm. terrible. Is it all or none? And once you sort of know like, okay, what are your classic go-tos? Then you get, then you can be super curious. Like, oh, 
wonder why that is. Like, how come that's my go-to? How does that make sense? Because we know it all makes sense at some mm-hmm. level, you know, like somebody who maybe is uncomfortable with the emotion of anger might ruminate later on when they don't express a boundary breach that they identified. Someone mm-hmm. else who struggles with all or none thinking and feels really rigid. Well, if they don't do one tiny thing and they recognize that they carry the rule with them that like, if you don't know all the things, you're a terrible doctor and you're going to cause harm and you should leave this profession. They carry that with them from a residency experience. For them, they get to now be like, oh, that's why I ruminate on missing that one question. Super interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what came up for me when you asked. Yes. No, I think that's so interesting to think about, you know, for us individually, right? Because I think our brains are wired a certain way. That's like our wiring, right? And then it has different applications depending on what we've experienced and um, maybe some of the unresolved, you know, experiences from our past uh, and and also ways that we've previously been successful too, because there's that sort of positive feedback uh, trap that we fall into and that fear that if we let that go, that we won't be successful too. So no, I think that's, I'm going to have to get really curious with myself. (laughs) It's not something I can do in the moment, but I think that it's, I just can't wait to, you know, find a quiet space and just start to ask myself these questions. I was thinking exactly that. I was like, Hmm, I wonder. And what came up for me as, you know, just as an aside was like, Oh, I tend to ruminate in relationships. I tend to ruminate Mm -hmm. when something happens that clearly I'm making mean something. Yeah. And yeah, it's just fascinating to think about, is there a pattern there? As you were saying, Christy, what, what are the situations that classically pull me into ruminating and what is it? Is it the all or none thinking? Is it a belief from my own past as you were pointing to? That's really helpful to start getting some bird's eye view. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. I mean, I'm a person, I used to struggle a lot with food and rumination. I mean, it was like 90% of my thoughts. And then with a lot of therapy and all of that, you know, I've sort of, that's no longer any sort of anything, right, for me. However, I understand how my brain is wired and, you know, the compulsiveness. And so I think like Kavitha, it's when I feel out of integrity with my relationships, where I think there's been something that's not quite the way I wanted it to be that that's when I stay up at night. That's when you know, and the last time that happened, I had to get some space and, you know, talk to a friend about what I was concerned about. She was like, oh, that's no big deal. I didn't even notice it. But for me, it caused me this whole universe of questions and guilt and fear and and all of that. So it's just, it's amazing how we are built and our capacity for all these emotions and how they really do get stuck sometimes. And then it's that shame, right? When we can speak it out loud, especially to another trusting person to say, hey, this is what I'm really worried about, you know, and I care about you and I value you. It, it, it tends to just dissolve, you know, but, but to get to that point, I think is really a skill. Absolutely. Yeah. Something yeah, I, I still struggle with. Um, Christy, do you have any, uh, cause I, I, I could talk to you about this all day. So much <laughs> coming up in my brain right now, but um, do you have any sort of examples or, things that have helped you in a real life situation for your own rumination or a client's rumination that might have to do with either something that they're carrying from the past or relational 
thing because our listeners are often interested in mastering their own emotions and and also healing their relationships through that. Um, and I'm just curious to see if there's anything that we can add to that. Yeah. So I think, I mean, the first thing to just name here is that I think it's so helpful in hearing other people's experiences with what they ruminate on just to normalize our own. Yeah. And like, I think in the same vein, like it's just so, it's so empowering to look at rumination from through the lens of once we can identify that we're doing it and once we can name, okay, this is me ruminating. There's a reason we're ruminating. And if we can look at rumination as a signal for us to do the, you know, as we you know, they call in therapy, do the U-turn to look back at yourself and shine the light back on yourself for like, what's this telling me about me? Then, then we can sort of drop, like drop the shame and drop the like, oh, what's my problem that I can't do? We get to drop all that and be like, oh, this is so curious. This comes up. So just in general, you know, I think for your listeners to recognize that curiosity, you can never go wrong with that. As soon as you start asking those kind, curious questions of like, oh, I wonder why I ruminate. I ruminate in relationships. I wonder why I'm ruminating on this conversation or this thing that I left unsaid or what this person, you know, this, my relationship to this person who was driving their car like a maniac. You know, why am I ruminating on this? Right. Um, so in terms of examples about, um, tell me again, like examples for, I want to make sure I'm following you. Oh, just an example of how you might have used this in your own life for something that you ruminate on, either with something that happened in the past or relationally um, or with a client. Um, Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I can take notes and use it for my own relationship. So I'll just share, like, I mean, um, personally, this is like, and I see this, like, as you both do with your clients, where oftentimes you probably see your clients describe things that you go, yes, absolutely. This is, you know, parallel or almost identical to my experience. So I think in sharing my own, I have a feeling this is probably sharing things that other people go through as well. But yes. my experience with ruminating would be that I would ruminate over, like I would see somebody and this was, you know, oftentimes it would be work-based or in social scenarios. And I think I started, you know, the habit of ruminating, you know, quite young, you know, is when I was like in or like elementary school, I would ruminate on like, what did it mean when so-and-so looked at me that way? And they said this thing and they, like, I think when I went, got up, I have this image in my mind now of being in fourth grade and getting up to sharpen my pencil and hearing some giggling and seeing it was like a good friend of mine talking to somebody else. And then when they saw me, they stopped giggling. And remember, like, I wasn't, I think in the moment I was like, huh, I wonder why they're giggling. And then I started like being like, oh no, maybe do I am I wearing the wrong clothes? Do they hate me? Are we going to? And so yep. if you fast forward to like adult me in social situations or at work meetings or you know, mm-hmm. getting um, check out from like, you know, other residents when I'm going on call or like for my partners when I was attending, I would sometimes take body language or words that they would say, and I would turn them into like scathing self-criticisms about me mm-hmm. I knew it must be that whether it was or not. I mean, it could, I mean, I could take a valid constructive critic criticism of like, oh, this would have been better if this had been this way. And I could hear that fine. But what I was doing is I was taking subtle, vague things and I would turn them into meaning something that was not spoken by them. So my personal flavor of ruminating had to do with like feeling like I didn't belong, 
feeling insecure and feeling judged. So that was like sort of like my trifecta of like, I don't belong and there's something wrong with me. Therefore, I feel insecure because I'm being judged by these other people who they know best. So yeah. that would, you know, be from like elementary school, middle school through, you know. I think we're brain. twins, by the way, Christy. <laughs> yeah, me too. So, right? Triplets. <laughs> triplets. We can have triplet brains. Yeah. So, and what I would do is, so like, I'm um, picturing like this would happen at work or in a meeting or like passing somebody in the hall. The event would happen. The rest of the day, I would be consumed with like replaying this scenario. So I would just go over and over and over in my mind and I would bring it home. I would tell my husband, can you believe that so-and-so, I cannot believe that, you know, or whatever. And um, I would probably have dreams about it. I would experience all the emotions like, uh, you know, that would go along with those themes of mine. I would have shame. I would you know, be angry, but not know what to do. In the moment, I would just be almost, I want to say mute, but I would just be almost frozen because I wouldn't know how to interpret those things. And then yeah. later on for me, the, the lack of resolution was, what I didn't know how to feel in the moment and put words to, I was trying to sort of like piece that together later. So for me, when I was able to do this work on myself, I had to first just notice that I was churning in all of that and then get curious about like, okay, what just sort of doing like what Eric said, like in hindsight, what was I making things mean? Mm-hmm. And am I, am I observing a truth or am I observing just speculation? And how might I find out? And so sometimes I would get to the point where like later on when I would stop ruminating, I would just do like a small experiment. I would go up to the person that I thought like, oh my gosh, they must hate me now. And I would just ask a question that would help me find out some more information. Uh-huh. And, you know, sometimes I would find like, oh, we, we've discovered there's some friction here where I would discover that like they just found out that their best friend was, you know, diagnosed with cancer. They were in a terrible mood. And so their body language reflected that that had nothing to do with, you know, how the grouchy they were when I saw them at the meeting, right? And so that would give me that space to be like, oh, how interesting. Why am I ruminating? And so what I would start doing is I just would start noticing I have a tendency to ruminate. Okay, good to know. I do it in these circumstances. Good to know. So in advance, I can know when I'm around these particular people, I have a tendency to have these thoughts that later on I ruminate on. And so mm-hmm. I just started like being able to watch myself and be like, oh my gosh, like with so much compassion, it's so hard when you make things into these like scathing self-rebukes from someone else that you really care about. Oh, that's so hard. Maybe that's not the only way to look at this. What else mm-hmm. might there be? And so that was super calming for me to be instead of in the past, like going to interact with the person and bringing with me like all the ruminating events that I had in the past to that and being all tense to be like, all right, what's actually present here? And so that's how I would do that interrupt. Like it took a lot of work of just recognizing the pattern, recognizing the habit in itself and being like, you know, why might I do that? Oh, this makes sense. I can see why I did it for years. Okay. And another way might be. So cool. So cool. And I think it resonates with our our discussion about emotional intimacy because that does take courage, right? It takes courage to then go up to somebody later. It takes courage to like shine the light on ourselves because what are we going to see? You know, like what if we don't like what we see? And uh, I just, I'm really inspired by what you just said, Christy. That was really, really beautiful. Me too. I love that. It takes courage to go back and it's much more likely to result in a new previously unseen perspective if we have taken the time to 
be aware, oh, this is my tendency to ruminate. Oh, I know I ruminate in these kind of situations. And it makes total sense. And I love the the self-compassion that you're introducing into each of these. Every step along the way is, is filled with mm-hmm. compassion. It's not like, why am I doing this again? But of course it makes sense. I, I love that so much. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. All right. Well, um, you've given us so many useful things that I know I'm going to. <laughs> I already have some ideas on where I ruminate and which topics I ruminate on. So when that's coming up next, I'm going <laughs> to use your your um, curiosity and compassion techniques that you gave us. Um, anything else that you would like to add about this topic that maybe we hadn't had the forethought to ask you about? <laughs> I mean, I think all your questions are amazing. So I really can't think of anything off the top of my head. I would just say for your listeners, if they're listening to this and thinking, okay, that's me. And those techniques sound great. I'm going to try those. And they notice as they try them that there's a bit of judgment going on. Mm -hmm. The same steps work for a really ruthless inner critic Mm -hmm. to just be like, oh, I notice I have the habit of criticizing and until we can just notice and name and get a little space from that, it's harder to get to the core of rumination because if the whole time we're doing, like you just said, like, what is my problem? I can't figure this out. I know better. I listened to that podcast and, yeah. you know, Erica and Kavi said to do these things and Christy said to do this. And like, I still can't. If that's also going on, it's like trying to run a marathon or, you know, do something while people are throwing things at you and telling you what a, you know, piece of crap you are. Like, what's wrong with yeah. you? It's like, yeah that's just so much harder. Mm-hmm. But just like sometimes you can use this work to identify, are there other things going on while I'm trying to get to the heart of this one issue? So that's, that's all I would add. Lovely. It also harkens back to the uh, IFS model that you mentioned in the beginning where other parts get in the way of us being able to talk to one part of ourselves. Right. Lovely. I love that. Love it. Love it. Um, Okay, so I wanted to also ask, this is a question that Erica and I um, love to ask our clients and people that we work with. What is a childhood memory that you really cherish and you want to hold on to forever? <laughs> oh, gosh, there's so many. <laughs> there's so many. Oh. <laughs> um, let me think. I think one of the ones that like comes to my mind right now instantly is there's a, it was a rocking chair that was all padded, very like 1970s style, like buttons that would push in on this velveteen thing and it would rock back so softly. And when I would get sick, my mom would cook me soft eggs and toast and would let me sit in the rocking chair and eat it. Or if like, you know, either before or after I'd eaten this like soft eggs and toast, she would just sit in the rocking chair and just like, hold me and we would rock. I just really, I I always thought that was just so, it's such a, I always remember feeling so safe. And even if I felt terrible, I was like, it was just so beautiful. So that's the first thing that comes to my mind. I love that you asked that. Oh, I love that. I feel like it's so beautiful. Yeah. I just made up my own corner and a rocking chair and you and your mom, like I could see. I know. And and that's precisely what you're doing with yourself. Christy, you know, when you're, when you're holding yourself with that love, love and self-compassion, you're right there. I mean, that's, that's just the most beautiful thing that you've now been able to do that. Yes. 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 That's right. 
Wow. Amazing. Yeah, that's my shout out. Thanks, mom. You know. No. <laughs> Thanks, Christy's mom for yep. <laughs> passing that so, on. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Erica. So I was just going to say this was such a wonderful time spent together. I mean, just week. I, I really we could talk for days on all of this stuff. Agreed. Um, I know our listeners are going to want to know where where they can find you and and learn more and and listen. So where where can they go to hear more about Habits on Purpose? Yeah, I keep everything simple. My website is habitsonpurpose.com. My <laughs> podcast is Habits on Purpose. My Facebook group is Habits on Purpose. And yeah, all the things are Habits on Purpose. I'm on Instagram at like, you know, whatever the handle is with my name, Christy.Angevine. But I don't really know much about Instagram, but I'm there. <laughs> that sounds like Erica and I, we're always like, what is Instagram? We really have to do better with that, but we don't know really what, right. what it is. But I love that everything is habits on purpose. Yep. And I just want to just say, I feel like the two of you are such a duo that works so well together. I had so much fun. You need to do, you know, if you like doing interviews, you should do even more of them because you guys are both super skilled at them. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here and sharing your immense, I feel like I just sort of touched the tip of the iceberg, <laughs> immense wisdom and knowledge. Thank you. Yeah. And talk great. about thoughtfulness, Christy. I mean, that just, you are, you are so thoughtful about this topic. I've, I've thought about this a lot in my life because I ruminate so much, but I, I have a whole new perspective on it today. And I think it's because of the deep work and thoughtfulness that you bring to the table. So thank you for that. Agreed. You guys thank are so you, kind. Thank you, thank you. This was so fun. It was so fun. Was so fun. Yeah, we'll do it again. Okay. Take care. Awesome. Okay. Take Bye. Care. See ya. Hey, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, I have a favor to ask. Would you rate and review the show? You may not know this, but ratings and reviews are the quickest way to get the word out so more people can find the show, learn these tools, and maybe get the relief and clarity they're needing. It takes two minutes and it would mean the world to me. Thank you.